Good day, everyone. Thank you for uh, listening to my episodes about the harmonic convergence that's been going on. We're going to open this up. You're listening to Inspirato Projector. We're going to open this up. Hold on a second. I got to fix my mask here. Um, I'm going to open this up with. Each day starts with Mark sharing some information that he learned from a, an entity known as Tejbar. And, uh, and, uh, let's go like this. Beautiful day in the neighborhood, by the way. Um, so he starts off each day talking about wisdom that he's learned from this extraterrestrial named Tejbar. And uh, he used to be an atheist. He used to be like one of the top people at this atheist church, I guess you'd call it. So what you're about to hear from him is... Um, I guess uh, the main the main guy at the at the uh, at the church uh, the atheist church ended up he ended up dying he ended up dying he was killed in a car crash and uh, when Mark had this revelation with uh, Tejbar he went in there and he told he told his people you know I can't I can't be a part of this church anymore. And uh, they were all just wild-eyed and freaked out. And thought he was crazy, you know, as one, as one could understand. So what you're about to hear is a sermon of sorts. Because I guess they have those at, at atheist uh, churches still. It's a sermon that was given to him. Through meditation from the from the uh, from from the guy who died in the car crash, and so he read. He's what you're about to hear him read is that sermon about justice. So that's what you're going to hear. All right, check it out. Thanks for listening. This pamphlet, like many others, is dedicated to an important theme. And justice is an incredibly important theme in our day. Because we see in the world around us a lack of justice. And the harmonic convergence being bookmarked by July 4th, in effect, and July 14th, the two most important days in human history involving sovereignty of the individual and of the nation, justice factors in quite heavily. So I want to read you about justice. Justice. Life is unfair. The fates do not give us what we really deserve. The good die young. The wicked prosper. Aging and death confront us at the very time that we are best able to enjoy the fruits of our labor. Life is unfair. Destiny is less generous than it ought to be. The summer is too short. The winter is too long. Floods, drought, and disease arrive 
as uninvited guests. When we think that we are finally in control of our lives, some unwelcome surprise remind us that we are not. Life is unfair. The righteous often look so plain and the wicked seem so attractive. Healthy discipline is hard and harmful pleasure is seductive. Appearances are deceiving. So the message is very clear. Since life is unfair, since the fates are unjust, we have to make up for it. We have to bring some order into this moral chaos. In defiance of an uncaring destiny, we shall strive to be fair. In the face of an indifferent universe, we shall work to be just. Indifference. Justice is responsibility. Responsibility is growing up. Children rarely want to take the blame. Parents and teachers are such handy scapegoats. Unpleasant circumstances are such convenient blame takers. Complaining and apologizing become our best skills. They help us avoid adulthood. Since the world is unfair, we might as well be too. Growing up is wanting to do better than resigning ourselves to destiny. It is wanting to be the masters of our own lives. It is finding, complaining, and apologizing uncomfortable and humiliating. It is the refusal to turn the other victims of our personal drama into the sole directors of the play. Becoming an adult is never automatic. Some children who look like children start very early taking responsibility for their actions. Some children who look like adults never get up, give up the familiar skills. Surrender and resignation can be made to look so mature that others will never know that they are still children. Justice is hard work. Fairness. Justice is fairness. Fairness is equality. We offer equal rewards for equal acts. Women do not receive less because they are not men. The weak do not receive less because they are not powerful. Strangers do not receive less because they are not friends. Fairness is generosity. We want others to enjoy the dignity that we enjoy. We want others to experience the self-esteem that we experience. We want others to know that good work leads to good rewards. Fairness is discipline. It is not instinctive to yield to women as much as one yields to men. It is not instinctive to yield to the weak what one gives to the strong. It is not instinctive to reward strangers in the same way as one rewards friends. Justice is hard work. Merit. Justice is merit. Some people believe that pedigree is the issue. They believe in the privilege of birth and family connection. They believe in the claims of caste and inherited status. For them, justice guarantees the power and wealth their parents enjoyed. For them, privilege is a gift of destiny. It does not need to be earned. 
Some people maintain that being human is the issue. They believe in the privilege of mere existence. They affirm the claims of need and deprivation. For them, justice ensures equal rewards to all. For them, privilege is the gift of being born. It also does not have to be earned. Some of us believe that merit is the issue. We applaud the privilege that comes from useful talent and useful work. We affirm the claims of commitment and successful labor. For us, justice rewards those who seek to help themselves and to help others. Privilege is the gift of personal effort and personal skill. Fairness and justness is hard work. Limitations. When we pursue justice, when we try to be fair, we have a good humored and recognize our limitations. It is sometimes difficult to resist the claims of pedigree. Our children, our family, our friends are very important to us. Even when they abuse us, even when they are undeserving, we are reluctant to deny them our support. So much of our motivation for working comes from their existence that when they misbehave, we are willing to overlook their actions. We temper justice with forgiveness and loving indulgence. It is sometimes difficult to resist the claims of human need. Poverty may be unavoidable even for those who want to work hard. Education may be unavoidable even for those who want to learn. Even the lazy and the indifferent may look needy enough to arouse our pity. We temper justice with compassion and generosity. It is even sometimes difficult to enforce the claims of merit. Talents are so unequal that the casual genius may receive far more than he needs, and the hardworking drone may receive far less than survival will allow. We temper justice with a concession to effort. In the face of all these limitations, justice is hard work. Motivation. Justice is more than an idea. It is more than an ideal. It is an action and behavior. It needs motivation. Why then should we be just? Why should we be fair? In what we will in what will way will an unjust world serve us worse than a world in which fairness prevails? Sometimes sharing rewards with those who deserve them leaves us with less than we want and need. Sometimes asking for more than we truly merit makes life easier and more comfortable. The reward of justice is neither guaranteed pleasure nor guaranteed survival. It is personal dignity. Dignity is respect. And respect comes from neither pity nor compassion. It arises from the realization that others regard us as competent human beings, as useful citizens. It emerges from the awareness that we see others in the same way. Justice is hard work, and so is mutual respect.
Okay, now what you're about to hear is uh, an interview between Mark and Daniel Sheehan. Daniel Sheehan has put together, uh, there's a castle up in this town. Well, he'll mention it. Uh, it's called the New Paradigm College. And this sounds to me like um, the visions that I've had a very long time concerning having a college, having a, well, it's in an old castle. And for the longest time, I've had these ideas about, I pictured a castle with a bunch of artists and writers and directors and all kinds of just creative people um, learning, working with each other, collaborating with each other's pro- projects. And it's, it's actually a reality. They got this college that's uh, about six hours north of... Los Angeles that I think one day I will go to I will either teach there live there I I have a I have a I just have a calling to this place I have a calling to this place so we shall see what happens New Paradigm College New Paradigm College look it up Man, it just it just looks like Shangri-La. So you'll hear you'll hear these guys talking about it and in uh, a bunch of other just extraordinary subjects. So thank you for tuning in to Inspirato Projecto. In our galaxy, that had been coming and visiting us here, and so I was talking with everybody about this, and eventually the Jesuit order ended up uh, convening a big meeting at the Vatican uh, in 2009 and brought in all kinds of world scientists. And at the end of that whole thing, this was under Pope Benedict, who was really a very conservative guy. Uh, And they all saw the light. And so they came out and held a major press conference on November 10th of 2009 saying, in light of the discovery of more and more of these new exoplanets, it's quite clear to us that much sooner than had been anticipated, we're going to be discovering life elsewhere in the universe. And therefore, the time has come for the beginning of of an extraordinarily important conversation among all the people of our planet about the philosophical and theological questions that are now posed to us as a human family from discovering that not only are we not the center of the physical universe, as we all came to discover with Copernicus and Galileo, which the church had some role in. Uh, uh, but, but the fact is, is that in response to learning that we were not in the center of the physical universe, we constructed this pyramid of conscious life and put ourselves at the top of it. He said, and now it's clear that's not true. And so that we're going to have to adjust to this. You know, the whole physical universe has not been created as a stage on which to out, play out the drama of human evolution up from primordial consciousness into reflective consciousness of the infinite and eternal. You know, there's other stuff going on in the universe. And so that that, that clarion call went out. Uh, and so we said, look, it's time we have to start putting together this new paradigm academy. Uh, we ended up being a given a uh, a... 60,000 square foot uh, Art Deco hotel up on uh, Clear Lake up just 100 miles north of San Francisco in in the Lake District up there uh, which as it turns out is ground zero for the massive forest fires that happen the grass fires in California so they're extraordinarily interested in trying to deal with the issue of global climate change, the massive adverse impact on our global ecological system uh, for burning fossil fuels etc and so they've all suffered the consequences so what we've done is that look the new paradigm has to integrate a green new deal that part of the new paradigm is having to get off fossil fuels, stop burning the fossil fuels and destroying our ecology. And we have to have solar energy and geothermal energy and tidal energy utilizing the natural forces of our planet uh, to generate our electrical power and our communications, etc. And so we now have we now have the new paradigm academy there. Uh, there's an additional 10,000 square foot attic, which I love. <laughs> uh, so it makes 70,000 square feet. Right. But anyway, we're in the process of doing this. Uh, we were beginning to hold conferences and gatherings of, 
of curriculum specialists uh, in reaching out to the Jesuit order. They've got 29 different universities and colleges here in North America uh -huh. to get them to potentially uh, assign some students in their junior year for a junior year abroad at home <laughs> to come there in, in bed with the people of the Lake County uh, uh, bioregion uh -huh. uh, to understand what the plight is up there, how they can work together, and at the same time bring people in from around the world to discuss the entire new paradigm. And so we've got the place all with fiber optic uh, cable uh, all now for uh, televising these gatherings and stuff. Uh, and uh, we're reaching out to establish communications with people from around the world. And the, the professors in these various universities are just jumping out of their shoes to get to come and teach at this place because yeah. they're under such constraint uh, in the normal universities and colleges. They're all wedded to this scientific, logical, positivist, materialist world. And that if you can't touch it and taste it and feel it and weigh it, you know, and measure it, then it doesn't exist. You know, not just that we don't know yet uh, everything, but just that it doesn't exist. Right. So that this new paradigm has to open up to the to the dimensions of reality that are at present outside of the direct tactile contact. And that's why these UFO contacts and, and, and things are so important because they actually cross the bridge. Mm -hmm. They come from that other vibrational frequency, that other dimension pursuant to which they move in interstellar right. space. Right. And they, they lower their frequency down to come into our four-dimensional time frame uh, and encounter our people. And as uh, Barbara Lamb has said, who's this wonderful person, a very dear, very dear friend of Dr. John Max, mm -hmm. who's interviewed hundreds and hundreds of people who had the experience, she says that in over 70% of the cases of people who've had these kind of contacts like yours, that the extraterrestrial beings talk about the need to protect our planet, to protect the ecological systems of our planet, because this is such an extraordinary place, not unique in the whole universe, but, but comparatively rare, uh, and it gestates life, gestates life up out of the chemical combinations and forces, natural forces of our planet, uh, which all of the basic religious traditions talk about, you know, coming up out of the earth, coming up out of the, 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 the wind caves for the Lakota people, you know, that this, this, this deep understanding of our human family, of our direct organic connection to our planet is extraordinarily important. Uh, and that we need to re renew this, uh, this relationship with the earth. And in light of the fact that 70% of the contact experiences are asking us to do this, we believe that, that the reaching out and establishing communications and contact with the extraterrestrial civilization is going to be supportive of what we're doing. They're not going to step in and say, oh, you know, here, we're going to take over now. You know, you're messing up your planet. They're saying, look, it, we, we're coming in trying to give you some, some, some pointers on this. You know, we're trying to talk with some people and say, look, you ought to go talk to your friends and neighbors about, about what you're doing, polluting this entire planet. Right. Uh, and so that there's a, a relationship between the Green New Deal, the new paradigm vision, uh, and our reaching out to the stars and opening ourselves to these contacts that are happening, such as you have had, which is an archetypal contact with yeah. an extraterrestrial being who's and also has now shared some additional insights into the theological implications of this or what we normally perceive as theology right. of where we go after we die you know is there life eternal is there a resurrection of ourselves into a, another body uh, is there such a thing as the resurrection of the body and life everlasting you know which is a basic part of the creed of a lot of the religions, only they don't, they don't quite understand what it means yet. Right. And so that's the new paradigm. That's part of the thing we're up to. And we're drafting the California Green New Deal. We've, we've reached out, we've been talking with both political parties and the Green Party in California, saying, look, we, we can no longer uh, be satisfied with the political leaders just trying to do what is politically feasible. Well, they know it's not adequate. They're running right off the cliff. And so, as Greta Thornburg has said, has said, as long as you political people are only willing to talk about what is presently politically feasible, rather than what has to get done, there'll be no hope for my whole generation. Right. And so what we're doing at the, at the Romero Institute, which is the progeny of the Christic Institute, right. 
here in California. Uh, we're drafting the Green New Deal. We have a 350-page draft already and building out toward probably 500 pages. We've got a 50-page summary of it, a four-page executive summary, and we're sharing this now. And we've talked to Governor Newsom's people about it and Governor Cuomo's people about it. You know, we're sharing this information, and we're reaching out to other experts, not to wait for them to tell us what to put in the act, but we're putting in things that we know will work. They're technologically feasible from a scientific point of view, uh, and they do the job. And now what we have to do is talk with all the other people and find out how much support we're going to be able to get from all of the people around our world to support getting that put into legislation uh, and, and restricting, clearly, some of the major corporations that are just running roughshod over the planet. Uh, so we're going to have to constrain them. So we're going to have an experience not entirely dissimilar to what Franklin Roosevelt had to deal with back in 1932 after the Great Depression of 1929 of having to have a whole new deal, have a whole revisiting of the basic economic uh, assumptions about our country. We have to do this now, not only with regard to the economy, but also with regard to our health, you know, and our relationship to the natural processes of our planet, our entire agricultural system, what having to do with our food, you know, all of our generation of electrical energy, our means of transportation, all of these things have to be taken into account as part of the new paradigm. Uh, and so that's what we're doing at the, at the Romero Institute, focusing on the Green New Deal. And we have the New Paradigm Academy up in Lake County, right. as they say, right? It, it's in a little town called Lucerne. Yeah. People, can, people can look it up. It's you beautiful. Know, you look I've up been the, there many times. Look up <laughs> the Lucerne Castle. It's actually a castle. Right. It was, it's an old Art Deco hotel built in 1929, just before the Depression. Uh, and so it just sat there. And so we've, we've had a, a, a wonderful guy, Andrew Beef, the head of the Earth uh, Earthways Foundation right. has purchased the place and made it available for us. And so we're all working together, and the people who are listening to this will know about it. Uh, and they'll know both about the Romero Institute and the Green New Deal. Right. They'll know about the New Paradigm uh, uh, Academy that's up in, up in Lake County. Uh, and they know about the relationship this has to reaching out to our sisters and brethren in this other other species, right. uh, in more than one species, obviously, that's uh-huh. going on. Right. And, and, and everybody looking forward to this in a very positive, constructive way in trying to atrophy this attachment that, that our nation state has to the military uh-huh. response to this. Like, because the, these beings can come and go into, quote, our airspace <laughs> without getting permission from our military, they view it as a threat. Right. You know, it's like the old, the old saying, when the, it's an old Sufi saying, when a pickpocket meets a saint, all he sees are his pockets. Right. And in this particular case, the military prisming the entire UFO and ET phenomenon through the prisms of military hardware and defensiveness, that they're trying to figure out how to combat them. How can they overcome them militarily and maintain control over our planet? Our job is to get them to let go of control of our planet to begin with. Right. Because they're holding it away from our human family for the advantage of major corporate owners. You know, that we've got to share the resources of our planet in a responsible, sound way that's completely renewable and invite other people from other star systems to come and to share the abundance of, of our planet and get to know them, know what their planets are like. What, what kinds of exchanges of information, of knowledge, of technology, uh, of, of spiritual matters, uh, and we can share with them what, what we understand to be true. And this is, a, this is an absolutely phenomenal time period to be alive. It is. I mean, really, and, and we're, we're at great advantage to be as young as we are still. Right. Uh, so so we have, we have a, a good period of time to go, and I believe, I believe the next eight years, you know, starting in 2020, uh, this new administration is going to be coming in. We've got to, everybody get pushing, pushing, pushing. You know, not just accept whatever get back to normal uh, policies are that they're going to try to have to overcome this very bad last four years. Right. But pushing them into the new paradigm. Lifting, lifting them into the new paradigm. And it's our job to show them that it's practical. Right. That it works. 
that yes. is, is functional. It works. It doesn't have to violate people's and, constitutional rights. And it's more efficient. It, it's and it's more, better for everybody, ex yeah. except for the tiny 1% right. who want to own and control everything for their own personal financial advantage. It's not going to be to their advantage. Right. And so that we have to, you know, without abusing them, without punishing them, uh, you know, right. what we've got to do is just take back our access to all of our resources and leave a lot of them in the ground, leave a lot of them to be, uh, curry them and let them grow naturally, et cetera. And, uh, and if they're going to survive and, right. and, and they'll be much happier. They actually can spend time with their children. <laughs> their children won't hate them. Exactly. They won't just want to stay, you know, can I use the yacht for the weekend? Right. You know, you know they're, 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 <laughs> we're, we're here to help them out too. They are jewels that go with lines of prayer that go back to the original times. Do not mix them. Do not change them. Protect and keep them safe and walk them through the doorway of the millennia. I have something we're going to do. Now, it was very shortly after. We didn't understand this. You understand. We were very innocent. We're very devoted. We're still that way. We don't know much. But we do know a new rhythm to our life since these original principles came into them. So we can follow the instruction of Mother Earth and, and follow it even when our mind says, what are you doing? You want us to do what? <laughs> that's a moment you know when you've got to really gather your courage and that's a test of faith. But it's all about our, our relations, because we have this relations with that one that's sending us there. And we know after all these years, we trust that relations. She only wants the goodness for us all. So I'm remembering. I'm remembering how this went. And shortly after that, we were in ceremony. We were initiating a new altar. It's probably about 80 of our community there. It was a hot summer day. Beautiful, beautiful starlit sky. Beautiful starlit sky. Clear, clear, clear. I was running this ceremony. My sister Darlene helps me with these things. She was helping me too with everything, watching after to make sure everybody was getting good care. I went outside to check on everybody because there were people inside and outside of this big yurt that we were in holding the ceremony. And all of a sudden, I look over. Now we're set on top of a mountain. It's national forest on all four sides. Hot, dry summertime, right? I look over and I see this rose color experience up in the sky and the first thing you think is fire go to Darlene I said oh my goodness I didn't smell any smoke I didn't feel any wind I thought well that's strange Darlene looks like a fire she said I've been watching it for a while I said well I'm going back in and I'm going to keep praying you let me know I got a big swimming pool we'll put them all in the swimming pool <laughs> I just went back and held my ceremony held my prayer so <laughs> Uh, what happened next was was part of what some would call miracles or other you know other vision I call it our natural vision because this light it came over and it went over the top of the yurt and right under there was where we had just created a star altar and it went over and it made itself into a uh, an aquamarine and uh, a, a yellow and a little bit of a pink and it made a circles over the top of this right over the top of the altar some of the people in our community hadn't gone into ceremony and it scared them like you talked about it. what's that you know Darlene she just kept watching it and finally in a little while it moved it was there sometime then it moved down the road. It went to the front of the gate to come onto our land, onto this territory we were caretaking. And it went down there, and on our, on our gate at the top, it had a winged heart. 
and it created itself. It made another circle. It put an equal cross inside. And my sister, both of them could tell you what that equal cross really means inside of there, that place of wholeness. And it created itself that way, and then it went into the heart, this winged heart. And the next day, in the papers, they were wondering, how did the Ourobora shine in the hills above Colombia, the Sierra foothills that day? So these kind of things, they happen. I can tell you, we don't have enough time on this session for us to tell you, us grannies have gathered some stories in our baskets since we started this walk. But for me, what that means is that they're always there with us, walking with us. They're walking with the prophecy that's unfolding in these times, that's preparing us for this amazing moment we are, we're in. Yes, is it challenging? Yes, is it complicated? Yes, is it confusing because the mind doesn't know what to do with itself? As our Kogis say, the ending is falling in the beginning and it rolls out in 2026. That's only six more years when the next part of the prophecy is about to move with more force across this planet. And it's already mounting. We're already in many meetings, all of us, many hours a day where these things are coming together. This collaboration, this harmonic convergence is taking place. And the magic for me, you know, it's like that all of this is happening. And then we get a call last week. Hey, grannies, can you guys come over here and spend a little time? Because we really want the Star Nation to know we are welcoming them. We're not going into this. You see, we have to go into this with wonder. With no expectation, because if we do, then we just do what we've been enculturated, which has shut us down and put us all to sleep. If we go in to get something, let me go to this meeting this weekend so I can see what I can get for myself, then that's still extraction thinking. Can we go and sit down at this fireplace today and just sit down and form this good relations with one another? And see what wants to pop out, what wants to be shared, what wants to weave itself in this moment with all of us. And that's all we need. Then we'll be in wonder. And then those moments, like I just described, they will come more frequently. Because our hearts will be open to receive. And our the cobwebs off our eyes and the things cleared out our ears so we can be fully present in the moment with one another. It's all waiting for us in our present moment. That I'm sure of. So Isis, I, I know we've, I wanna hand some things back to you here because you know, you said, let us go on a little little storytelling moment and us grannies just ran off with that real fast <laughs> but want to see what it stirred in you want to see what comes up right now that star nation needs us to bring into more clear light in, uh, or 1985 rather in december of 1985 i did not understand at the time i understand now that it was a classic example of a shamanic initiation and uh, only it, it was not happened did not happen in the spirit it happened physically my guess being i was too thick-headed and too completely in, involved in the material secular world for it to work any other way and so they literally dragged me out of my house and basically shook me until i woke up and when I did wake up and found myself in what appeared to be a tent full of giant bugs, I was profound, profoundly concerned, but I also did not forget that. That stayed with me. It was a little confused for the next few days, and then I went through the whole gamut of what, 
was it was I hallucinating? What did someone give me some kind of a drug? What happened? And finally, I faced it. It had happened physically. There was a reason I was all beat up. Uh, there was a reason. It turned out I had been. I had really been seriously beat up. Let me put it that way. But that people say, oh, they beat you up. That's bad. Depends on what 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 it led to, and what it led to me for me was a completely new life and a new vision of life, a reconnection with the, my own lost past in my childhood, and where I am now in this extraordinary relationship with them. Working right now on a new book, which is a new vision of Jesus, of all of the things I never expected to do. Uh, but I'm working on it, and you can see behind me my wife Annie. And I noticed that I did not brush my hair today. Okay, the, you folks, you have to just accept it. We're on lockdown. I'm all alone, and I failed to do this. Um, okay. Anyway, uh, and this incredible little thing in my ear that I call an implant. It's a little device that I have learned to use, and it is the most extraordinary research tool in the world. I only know one other person who has hit one, and he cannot make use of it. He knows how, but he, he can't do it, and I can. And uh, I'm using it to make, to make, try to help make the new world happen. Wonderful. That is so encouraging, Whitley. I, as I hear you recall the story from your book and your life, um, I am so deeply touched because I can understand, having firsthand experience, how that changed your life and yeah. how difficult it was to deal with all the brutal skepticism that you dealt with from family and friends and other colleagues and strangers who, frankly, you know, can be very vicious. Uh, well, you know. I have to tell you, my family is very supportive. The reason being that on the Streeter side, a lot of them were, their father, a whole group of them, were, was directly involved in the Roswell incident. So this was no surprise to them. Uh, on the other side of my family, they're just a very, it's a very sweet, very bright group of people. And they, they, they've known very eccentric Whitley all of my life. And, you know, I'm very accepted in my family. I lost a few friends. That's true. I gained a few friends. But, you know, the most valuable friends, the oldest friends, they stayed. They didn't go anywhere. In fact, my very oldest friend, you know, recently I talked to him. We've been friends since we were little boys yesterday. And uh, so, and he's a, become a very important man in this world. I'm not going to say his name because it would be inconvenient for him. But I, so that's not the problem. And a lot of people came up to fans, and some of these these people have been with me on my website and following my work ever since communion days. So there's a lot of good there. Now on the other side of the coin, there's a government that's scared to death of me. Uh, there is because they. I'm not even going to go into what I think they think about me because I don't really know for sure. Um, uh, <laughs> but let's put it this way. Some of them who are deep into this are very open about my experience and are very eager to learn more. Most of them are terrified, frankly. They're terrified of the visitors. They're terrified of me. And they're terrified of us and what we're doing because we represent change so fundamental and so deep that it means something that they can't face, that their world is over. It's done. I mean, the planet's overheating. We've got this horrible pandemic around and a, a, a leadership totally turned against itself. It, they don't know which way to go. And it's getting worse and worse and worse. And these things will build one after another, again and again and again, until their world essentially ends. Their world is going to end. But we will still be here. We will not end. 
and we're going to go into a new level of reality. Humanity is going to grow, and I'll tell you precisely what's going to happen. This veil between the living and the dead, the illusion that we die is over. It's ended. I'm See these rings? These rings are because my wife and I are still together. We just share one body now because hers conked out. But this is an active marriage. It's a very active marriage. We work together, and we're together in ways that I'm not really even ready to talk about. But let's put it this way. I know from my own life that there is a huge, undreamt of, and untapped group of possibilities in every single human being, and we can find this. Now is the time. Absolutely. Absolutely. I am so inspired by your words right now because that's exactly the way I feel and the thing I've been evangelizing, and that's what this whole 10 days has been about. I've been working on this for five years to get this message out in as effective as a way as possible to as broad of an audience as possible, covering a whole spectrum of various subjects that at first blush don't seem to be related, but they're woven and intimately integrated. And uh, and I think in order for people to wrap their heads around this without having an experience like you had or myself, they have to do the work. You know, they have to listen to these witnesses, these wisdom keepers from yes. the indigenous, uh, uh, from the elders of the indigenous cultures around the world that have so much of this knowledge uh, to other scientists who've had a spiritual awakening and understand how to convey to a layperson what that experience was and how it works from a scientific perspective but it it's so metaphysical at first blush that people naturally will uh shy away from it yeah they uh, tune it out because they've been taught there is no metaphysical right they've been taught to be small and desperate instead of large and at peace with themselves Right. That's the difference. And we have all been taught this. We're taught this from an early age. But you know, you mentioned indigenous people. And I have a tremendous affinity for them. And I'll tell you, let me tell you why. And it's also, I'm going to segue into something else. The visitors do not walk the streets for a reason. And this people just endlessly waiting, oh, for the moment of disclosure when Mr. President or someone steps forward and says they're here. Well, that something like that could conceivably happen. But if it does happen, whoever steps forward at that level is not going to be doing this in the best possible way. It's this, It has to come from the people. And let me tell you why. Last summer, I was at the Pine Ridge Lakota Sioux Reservation. And this is all in a new world, which had to be published so fast. I self-published it uh, because, let's put it this way, material from July of last summer is in the book that was published in November. So, so I was running to get this thing down at just the right moment. Anyway, I was there for three days at, uh, at a Contact and Consciousness Conference, which is going on there again this summer, by the way, although under different circumstances. I'm going to have to be uh, uh, like I am now, teleconferenced in. But anyway, the visitors, I had three of the most incredible days of my life because I lived in two worlds at the same time. When I closed my eyes, I was still on the res, but it was a different version of it in incredible detail, right down to the point where I could lean down and look at the ground and see details of flowers and stones and then open my eyes and it would be different flowers and stones but still there and i've learned subsequently to open up into this this is another universe it's a parallel universe and it's real it's recently been very strongly suggested by some scientific work that's been done that it is literally real and it's right here 
and we can open ourselves up to this. But you're not going to open it. No one who is going toward it with with weapons and so forth is going to open the door. But I learned something. I learned why this the visitors are so interested in indigenous peoples and why they're so intimately involved with them around the world. There's one little word that explains it. It is colonization and the soul-destroying effects of colonization. And I asked, I begged them, come help us with this COVID thing. And they said, we will never steal your fate. We will never steal your fate. And they will never colonize us. And the minute they show up, I'm not talking about what the British did, which is quite terrible. I'm talking about just, just showing up for five minutes. We will totally and completely refocus our whole culture on them when that happens. We will, we will self-colonize. And our whole journey into the future on our own will be lost to us. And their idea of repairing this world starts with the indigenous peoples. It starts there because these are the people who have been most harmed. That's why they're so interested in them and so involved with them in so many different ways. And why those of us who are outside of that need to face the fact that, yeah, we're in the part of the society that, that, that needs to find a way to heal itself even though it doesn't feel sick. We have to look at them as they really are and learn from them what they have to teach us about our relationship with our planet because their feet are still rooted in the planet i don't know what happened to our feet but they're not <laughs> rooted in any planet anymore well we wear rubber soles <laughs> yeah it was a great album too <laughs> well the, i i am just um so full of uh, inspiration right now and what you're telling me is the is the thing that i've learned through my journey with tejbar this is blythe baines and you're listening to inspirado projecto